Welcome to the B'nai International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in today. A little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Be sure to visit our website, b'nai like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. I'm joined today by Dr. Erica Miller, a clinical psychologist whose life has taken her from Romania, where she and her family were forced into a concentration camp during the Holocaust when she was a child, to Israel, where her family immigrated when Erica was 15 years old. In Israel, Dr. Miller eventually joined the Israeli Air Force, where she served from 1954 to 1956. Dr. Miller next relocated to Los Angeles, where she currently lives. In Los Angeles, Dr. Miller earned a Ph.D. in clinical psychology and raised two children. She's written three books, including the Dr. Erica Miller story, From Trauma to Triumph, which we're going to be talking about today, and she currently manages a family real estate company in Austin, Texas. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Miller about her life's journey from surviving the Holocaust to serving in the Israeli Air Force as a woman to starting an entirely new life in the United States. Dr. Miller, welcome to our program. Thank you. I'm ready for the challenge. Okay. You've led a remarkable life marked by courage and determination and grit hard work, uh, and success in your professional life and in business. And uh, it's really quite a story, and we're pleased uh, to have you here and uh, to have um, learned so many important life lessons uh, from your book. Now, as a young girl during the Holocaust, what survival strategies did you learn then that uh, have remained with you throughout your life? Uh, very, very simple, very clearly, don't tell me because I'm Jewish I have to die. Don't tell me because I'm a girl I cannot climb trees with the boys. Don't tell me. So that kind of counterphobia, fearlessness, upper stiff lip, seeing all the atrocities, seeing my father beaten, seeing four years of, of mayhem, it made me stronger. There's a song like that, isn't there? So I just, my sister was beaten down all her life. She was five years, you know, five years older. And to me, just the opposite. There is no such thing as failure. And I'm just absolutely amazed I'm still alive. So life force is going to continue till the end of days. And again, never retire, never, I'm too old for this, that. And then I'm telling you, I cannot put my hands around me. I will be 85 in November. Anybody that sees me, too bad you cannot see me, you in the audience. I am absolutely, they say maybe 60, and it doesn't matter. Age is just a number. I'm just lucky to be alive and to empower others. I speak, I'm a guest speaker. My latest book is about funny, chronologically gifted, a guide to live till 123. Well, guess what? Meaning to life is death. And to me, I plan to live till 123 because somebody died. Her name was Jane Kalman in France, 122. So uh, I have a legacy. I will, I'm passionate, but the biggest thing for me is to have a voice because I did not have one when I was little. 
So was this answer a little bit too long for you? No, it was perfect. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm thinking of your description of being in that, in that cattle car and uh, then arriving at the, the camp at Mogilov uh, really um, must have, have been a, a searing experience for you. And um, to, to have uh, the ability after all of that, and you know, we, we read so many stories about the Holocaust, and yet every story is really personal, and yours is personal as well. Everyone is just a little bit different, and right. um, the, the uh, determination that uh, followed later in your life, you could see in how you uh, dealt with the experience, really, as a, as a young child. Now, your subsequent life in Israel and the U.S. Uh, identified you as a, as a type A personality, uh, one who is never satisfied, as you've said, with just standing still, but continually achieving and uh, surpassing your goals. Now, it must have been fascinating to be in a brand new country, and you talk about that in the book, and contribute to its development. Uh, tell us about your life as an immigrant, but before that, Tell us about the Israeli Air Force, because reading about your experience, and uh, if I recall correctly, uh, Azar Weitzman, who later became president of Israel, uh, was uh, the commander of, of this particular base, perhaps, of, of where you were, um, right. and you saw Weitzman. Uh, there were, uh, these were formative years in, in Israel's history. You were part of that history. Uh, tell us about that. Um. What memories? I am telling you, just thinking back, I'm getting all excited. Uh, it was 1949. It was one year after Israel became a state, 1948. How excited it was for me to now be a majority, not a minority. Uh, most of my, all of my girlfriends, nobody went to the, to the army. They either got married or they said they were religious. But to me, the country needed me. The excitement to be part of the of the armed forces, and yeah, Acer Weizmann, uh, he was tall and handsome. I had such a crush over him. I'm a little short, and it was even personal. He knew everybody's name, so we lined up Friday afternoon at the base. We used to line up, and he used to go from one to another. Hey, how is your mother doing in Persia? She coming to here. When he came to me, I used to sing and dance in the bass Friday night. And he came in front of me and said, Hey, Chayelet, which means uh, soldier. Hi, Chayelet, are you going to sing tonight? And I said, sure, but badai. And so it was an absolutely life-affirming experience being part of the troop, uh, you know, with all, this, with all this excitement and adventure and scary. Uh, so I felt that I contribute, I contribute to my life. And that made me partly also who I am. I'm strong. I always say if I would live in a neighborhood where it would be scary, I would have a gun and I would have no problem protecting my family. So, yeah, uh, Israeli Air Force was very, very important for empowering me again, especially coming from a position of the camp where I felt strong, I felt defiant, but I could not open my mouth. My mother kept my hand over my mouth all the time to not give away where we are. So yeah, Israel, absolutely an amazing experience for me. And I imagine that um, at that time, uh, many of your fellow soldiers uh, were also survivors. 
You know what? I have issues. Don't tell anybody. I have issues with intimacy, closeness. Um, I see, I, I remember experiences, but not faces. Four years in camp. It's a long time. And I was 7 to 11. I remember playing, you know, jumping over dead bodies, all that kind of thing. But I don't remember any faces. The same thing in the Air Force. Other than, other than Aaron, my first love, uh, and Ezer Weizmann, my uh, commander-in-chief, Mufakeach, uh, I do not, I know they were from all over the place, from Australia, I, from South Africa. I liked accents like that. But I do not remember their faces. So, yeah, they were from all over the places. But mainly men. Uh, maybe my memory is failing me. I don't remember. I don't remember women. I was in a special. I was in a special office to take care of the equipment for the pilot, and so uh, they used to call in to get ready for the plane. Uh, I remember mostly, mostly uh, tall, handsome pilots. Here we go again. And you wanted really to go to a kibbutz, correct? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, the country needs me. So, but because I was a minor, uh, when I came to the country, we went to a kind of like a, a um, not a kibbutz, but like a, 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 like a farm where new, where new immigrants, Ayanot, it was called Ayanot, where new immigrants like me, where they're working on the fields and, and on the trees, you know, picking oranges and learning the language. And from there, they tried to inspire us to go to kibbutz because there were more men than women. They really needed women too. And I was ready to go to kibbutz. I was so excited. But my parents, absolutely not. They would not go for it. So I was very upset, but I nothing I can do about it. So I went back to Tel Aviv and, uh, you know, so I never went to the kibbutz. But if it would have been up to me, obviously I would have gone. Since then, don't tell me I cannot do it. I lived my life always, I still do according to me. Why do other people think they know how I should lead my life? So being unique outside the box, never mind being judged, I, I will always do what I want to do if it's important to me. But at that time, I wanted so much to be, you know, part of the kibbutz, uh, but it didn't happen. For, it, it was not to happen. So from, from Bukovina to, to the, the, the camp, to the concentration camp, to Israel, new life, new country, uh, you went to Los Angeles. Now, I can understand in, in those days, uh, I can understand New York, um, which uh, uh, has always attracted uh, Jewish immigrants from all over, regardless of the, the era. How did you get to Los Angeles? Okay, by the way, I felt very, very strong, and I do feel strong about things. I'm passionate about things. I felt that all Jews should live in Israel. By the way, I don't think it anymore. We need to be scattered all over the world just the way we are, and I'm not going to go into that. So I knew that I will be in Israel forever. After the, after the Air Force, because I was educated, I went to, um, before I went to the Air Force, I went to night school. I got my high school diploma. None of my friends did either, the girls, because, uh, you know, education was not important those days for girls or for boys. So after... 
the Air Force after I went to high school and then Air Force, and then I landed this wonderful, prestigious job in the Israeli government tourist information office. I worked there because I spoke English and uh, English and obviously Hebrew and German, a number of languages. So um, I I took an opportunity to get vacation because my sister, meantime, immigrated to Los Angeles with her family. Uh, they had an opportunity here. So I just came to visit. I was an old maid of 24. In those days, you got married really young. But I, don't, I didn't need a man. I just wanted to live life and all that. So I thought... I would go and, and travel all over the Europe to visit other other Israeli government tourist offices, unheard of for a single girl to do that, to visit my sister and then come back to Israel. And then destiny happened. I came here, uh, my sister and my brother-in-law, they really wanted me to stay here. They started to get me shatchan to introduce me, never mind them. I saw opportunities here that I did not have in Israel. I always wanted to be a healer. I remember, and we don't have time to go into these stories, being in this small room with 20 people, everybody hanging out close to each other's family like monkeys in a zoo. And that one woman, she old woman, probably in her 50s, wailing. Her contorted face will never leave me. She was all alone, lost her family. I wanted to touch her, and my mother held on to me for dear life to not go there. So uh, I saw an opportunity in Los Angeles. Maybe, just maybe, I can become a healer, a doctor. So, and then I met, destiny has it, somebody introduced me to a Jewish boy from Independence, Missouri, Jerry Miller. After 53 years, uh, Jerry Miller died about five years ago. And you know what? No regrets. When you live as long as we did together, one of us has to go first. Uh, I'm so sorry he left, but I'm so glad that I'm still here. So that's how I stayed here. And when I had two children, I felt so guilty that I left Israel, that I went to the American Jewish University. I got my Hebrew school teaching license, and I taught Hebrew school for a number of years. So when my son was in first grade, I saw an opportunity. It was I was stable, was safe to go back to school and get my PhD. Nobody, and I'm not. I'm not a hero. I'm not a saint. But again, you could not stop me. Uh, I went to school, I went back to school, and eight years later, I had my PhD in clinical psychology to the dismay of everyone. Poor Jerry, you know, here she's out there in school, here, whatever. We are very lucky as a family. He didn't bargain for me. He didn't like it particularly. But again, we hold on for dear life. And then everybody was so proud of me because managing family and children, I wanted to have it all. I still do. So again, as an example, when I lecture, it is like we are not in Saudi Arabia, although Saudi Arabia is a little bit better. Women are moving up in the world a little bit. One can have it all. I had a living. I had, you know, I, I cooked, I, I made sure that we, the families, the holidays, we traveled together, but I wanted a career and I was able to, with the support of my husband, he went along, we were very lucky, so I have it all. Well, you know, the, the symbolism is very important if Jerry was from Independence, because it was also, of course, President Harry Truman's hometown, and Truman was 
the president who recognized uh, the state of Israel. So you see, even there, um, perhaps it was uh, was Beshert uh, that yeah, independence got into yeah. the, got into the story. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interrupting you rudely. One little binet. My mother-in-law, she was best friend with Truman's secretary. The story has it. So I mean, it's all destiny. It's amazing how things happen. Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Miller, uh, when you got to Los Angeles, just to go back a little bit to, to rewind here, um, it's, it must have been a matter of culture shock when you arrived. Now, Los Angeles in those days was not what it is today, uh, but still, um, going to, um, to Los Angeles, a totally different uh, uh, lifestyle, uh, different people. Uh, how did that hit you when you, when you arrived in town? You know, well, Dan, I'm not normal, and I brag about it. Uh, I'm not intimidated. I'm like a chameleon. I think a chameleon just fits in. I am so focused. I'm so in the moment. Remember, I had a sister here. I stayed with her for a while, and then I moved out as soon as I got a, you know, I got a teaching job. So to me, remember also. Uh, I come from Austria, Romania. It was Austria where my parents were born, pretty much Western culture. So uh, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm so in denial. I'm detached. I don't remember any hesitation. I know it was big, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, to me, I saw opportunity, the excitement of newness. That's what follows me all along, even now. I'm an adventurer. Uh, in two weeks, I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to Tibet, Himalayan mountain and Mount Everest, Nepal. My family thinks I'm crazy. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going all along with National Geographic. I meet up with them. Last year, I went to Machu Picchu. So the adventure keeps me going. It's like I'm defiant. I don't walk on the freeway, but life is to be lived. Life takes courage. So I like the adventures, the journey, life, a gift that keeps on giving, and then it stops. So it was not being in Los Angeles, like being in Tel Aviv, uh, being you know in Africa, wherever I go, I travel all over the world. This is life affirming for me, saying, look, I'm still here. In spite of the Nazis, in spite of Haman, in, you know, in the Bible, I am here. I'm, I'm going to continue till I check out, I call it. So um, the question to answer you, no, I, I don't. I, I you know what? I just wherever I am, I just look around. I fit in when I travel by myself. You know, people are, are, are encouraging people are engaging. And I just. I just sample the, the moment I'm in. You were uh, fortunate that the family unit uh, survived as, as a unit, but your sister left for Los Angeles and then you left. Um, how did that work with your, with your parents uh, who remained uh, behind in, in Israel at that point? Uh, well, again, me, uh, it, it had to make sense to me. There was no way that my parents would get old all by themselves. I did not plan to be staying in Los Angeles, but obviously I did. Uh, so I started to talk to my sister. I want to bring parents out. And my sister, my brother-in-law, his name was Israel, Israel Gesser. They were very much against it because there they had some family, they had friends. They did not know the language. But again, having a husband like mine, I knew that he would uh, assist 
uh, it was unacceptable to me. We had to be together with our parents. So uh, so we brought them out. And it was a little bit tough. They lived with me. Uh, my sister, uh, you know, was very upset that I, I bent over her head. She was older than me. But I felt very strong that at the end of the day, family is essential. And it worked out real well. Uh, amazing story that four of us, my papa, mama, my sister, and me survived the camp number one. At that camp, people died from typhoid and starvation. We absolutely very initiated, but we survived. It's I don't know the story has that no other family they uh, survived like ours. So for them then to follow us here in America, and Jerry made it possible, he opened a little cleaning store for them, so they were really fine. And they died in their 80s. What a wonderful story. They saw about uh, our children, you know, their, their grandchildren. So um, it was, I mean, I'm really glad that I made the decision. I'm very strong. Don't mess with me, California. So we were very, very lucky because at the end of the day is family. Right now, I have two kids, their significant others, and five grandchildren. And I feel so lucky because life doesn't owe you anything. And for me to be so having such a journey and continuing, I'm strong, I'm healthy. I go to the gym every day. So I'm saying the gift that keeps on giving. And I know I'm Jewish. I don't think I'm chosen, but it's destiny, and I'm embracing my life. Now, the Odyssey continued on to Austin, Texas, from Los Angeles. Tell us about uh-huh. that. Well, uh, my husband, he was a loose cannon. He was kind of like, he liked to, he was a visionary. He was a teacher from profession. But then again, in the summertime, his mother, uh, from Depression era, she wanted safety, and he became a teacher, but he got a good job. But again, when he married me, he was really restless, but really afraid, because the message he used to get from his mother, don't try, you may fail. So, uh, but me, there's no such thing as failure. Are you kidding me? Uh, so when he bought, he always had the vision. He liked to play Monopoly. You, you have a house, you borrow from the house, and you buy a duplex, and then a fourplex. So he kept on buying property. We never had any cash. Who cares? But he did really well by us. And then about 30 years ago or so, there was an oil bust in Austin, Texas. So in the, in the Wall Street Journal, there was an advertisement from a broker saying, come on, you know, I will pay for your plane and, and hotel. Come to see, see what's going on here. You can buy your property. So he looked at me and he said, do you think we should go? I said, are you kidding me? They pay for our trip. Let's go and see. So that was the beginning. So it's a big, big story. So he sold here and we bought there. We were the vultures from California. Right now, and I don't brag, I I just share. We have 11 buildings, 259 units, and I am running the show, meaning I have a payroll. There are 12 people outside, you know, all outside and inside. Uh, Everything is done in-house. And it's a very exciting game that I'm playing now as well since he died. Instead of selling, instead of having management company, I feel I'm a good little administrator. I ran 10 mental health clinics. So that's how we ended up in Austin. And I don't need to tell you. I bet you know Austin is a crazy city. I'm going again here on Friday because I go at least once a month, team building this and that. 
and I have a condo on Lake Austin. I'm absolutely very, very privileged and very lucky. Well, you bring uh, enthusiasm to uh, everything you do, Dr. Miller. I'm going to just finish with with one question, maybe a rhetorical question, actually, because uh, hearing you, I think I know the answer. And the question is, do you consider yourself an inspiration for younger generations? What do you mean consider? I am. Are you kidding me? No, I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm smiling at you. I live in this community here in Hidden Hills, and I have a bunch of, of girls, you know, in their 50s, high-end, high-end women, professional, um, they professional, smart, you know, kids, everything. And they call our group M&M, Miller Muse. They want, they want to grow up like me. Uh, I'm surrounded with young people. And, and how seductive is that? Because my energy and my optimism, my positivism is attractive. And I don't brag. I share again. So when I lecture at university, you know, in, in Austin, or when I go here, when I have Yad Vashem, I was just a lecturer. I'm all over the place. And young people... They don't tell me I cannot do it. They're inspired by me. And that is life-affirming. It's not about me. It's about giving back to the world, about saying, if I can do it, so can you. So here we go. I'm an inspiration. And I, I envision that in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, as long as, as I have a voice, I will be doing my part of empowering, encouraging people to just live their life according to them. Well, that's great. You know, I'd like to have you come back at a certain point because your most recent book is Chronologically Gifted, Aging with Gusto. So we will uh-uh. we'll talk about that the next time. But for this broadcast, uh, the book is The Dr. Erica Miller Story from Trauma to Triumph, Her Life from Concentration Camp Prisoner and Israeli Air Force Soldier to Mental Health Professional in America. Dr. Miller, thank you very much for joining us today. I had fun. I hope you did, too. I did. I did. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please visit our website, benebrith.org, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, be sure to tell a friend about us. For my guest, Dr. Erica Miller, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. We'll talk to you next time on the Benebrith International Podcast. (laughs) 